1: Today is Wednesday, March 17, 2021. On this day in 2000, over 500 members of a cult known as the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God perished in a fire in Uganda. The cause of the blaze remains unknown. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by a guest host, Wendy McKenzie from Unsolved Murders. Every week, Wendy's show investigates true cold cases with the help of an ensemble cast. She's here to discuss the aftermath of today's story, while I'll
2: cover the event itself. Thanks, Vanessa. I'm looking forward to discussing such a mysterious crime. Absolutely. Now let's go back to the town of Kanungu,
1: Uganda on March 17, 2000. The day started quietly, as usual, in the remote rural community. The silence of the countryside may have been part of the reason the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God moved there in the first place. Though hundreds of cult members lived at the headquarters there, they rarely spoke out of fear of accidentally violating one of the Ten Commandments. Followers communicated using hand signals whenever possible. Though lately, a few cultists had gathered the courage to make some noise. In the past, they'd repeatedly been assured that the world would end with the advent of the new millennium. Members sold their possessions and donated their money to the church in anticipation of January 1st, 2000. When rapture didn't come, some of the followers rebelled and demanded their property back. In response, the leaders gave them a revised prediction. This time, they claimed to be certain the apocalypse would occur on March 17th. This seemed to quell the dissent for a while. Acolytes returned to working on the farms, praying the rosary, and making long treks through the woods to worship at the foot of a large rock said to depict the Virgin Mary. No one staged a full-blown mutiny, even as members started vanishing without explanation in the weeks before the 17th. But the otherworldly calm that pervaded the compound was suddenly shattered that morning sometime after 7.30 a.m. Ana Cabarejo, who lived near the cult's headquarters, told the BBC she remembered the sound of an explosion coming from the group's church. When she looked down at the valley, she saw columns of smoke rising from the building. A sickly smell filled the air. She watched as flames began to consume the cathedral. It didn't look like any of the group's members were fleeing the inferno. With creeping horror, she realized the stench wasn't just from the burning wood, it was the smell of charred flesh. Residents nearby rushed to the church to investigate. They covered their noses with sweet smelling leaves to block out the odor what they found was shocking. The building was packed with charred bodies, many scorched so badly they were unrecognizable. Upon further inspection, they discovered that the windows and doors of the church had been nailed shut. The cultists were trapped inside as it burned, with no way to escape. It was a disaster, Authorities eventually determined that over 500 people died that day. Even more concerning was that apparently no one had seen the catastrophe coming. There was hardly anyone left alive who could explain what had happened. Mystery piled atop mystery. Investigators soon realized they had only scratched the surface of the tragedy. The hundreds who perished in the fire weren't the only cultists who had been killed. Coming up, police find more bodies and more questions without answers. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from Parcast. When you think of a criminal, do you picture a killer, a gangster, a thief? I bet you didn't think it could be the little old lady down the street who murdered her tenants. Every Wednesday on my series, Female Criminals, meet the unlikeliest of felons. Mothers, neighbors, and unsuspecting lovers with a penchant for dangerous behavior. Discover the psychology and motives behind their disturbing crimes and find out where their story stands today. But that's not all. Airing right now on Female Criminals is our special five-part look at the world's most infamous femme fatales, women who were deceptive and deadly, but not always the villain. Catch these episodes and more by following the Spotify original from Parcast, Female Criminals. New episodes premiere weekly. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. On March 17, 2000, a church belonging to the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God caught fire in the town of Kanungu, Uganda. Over 500 members of the religious organization were trapped inside as it burned. Even more disturbing was that the doors and windows to the building had been nailed shut before the blaze. Clearly, the disaster was no accident, but who exactly doomed the victims to die and why remained a mystery? My guest host, Wendy McKenzie, is going to take over from here to talk about the investigation into the fire and the origins of the
2: cult. Thanks, Vanessa. In the weeks following the Inferno, investigators searched the compound and surrounding lands extensively. After digging up the latrines, they discovered hundreds of additional bodies buried in shallow graves. Ugandan police eventually estimated the total death toll at close to 800. Initially, authorities believed that the victims had been strangled, as many had banana fibers wrapped around their necks. But after pathologists performed an examination, they determined that many of the victims had been poisoned instead. The news drew comparisons to the infamous Jonestown massacre, in which over 900 doomsday cultists died in a mass suicide coordinated by their leader. However, the difference between the Jonestown incident and the church fire was that no one knew where the Ugandan movement's leaders were. There was no evidence that they had died in the inferno along with their followers. As the weeks wore on, answers remained out of reach. Independent researchers started digging into the organization's background in an attempt to clear things up. They found that the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God had been founded sometime before 1990, when a sex worker named Crudonia Mirwinde claimed to have a vision of the Virgin Mary. She reported the experience to the heads of the Catholic Church, but they refused to accept it as a miracle. Her story did gain momentum inside of Uganda, however. With the help of Joseph Kibwetare, the founder of a Catholic school, she amassed a pool of loyal followers and formally established the movement. The compound in Kanungu was built in 1992, and for years afterward, the group slowly and quietly gained steam. Members wore uniforms, toiled quietly in the fields, and were taught that Credonia Merowinde communicated directly with the Virgin Mary. The cultists flew under the radar for the most part, even as their membership exploded. They were well-regarded in the towns as polite people who kept to themselves. The insular nature of the group and the ban on speaking enabled its leaders to treat their disciples however they wanted. Followers were reportedly to be suffering from malnutrition, as they were expected to fast regularly and only eat a single meal on some days. They were forced to take on extremely rigorous schedules, waking up at 3 a.m. for marathon prayer sessions before going out to do harsh manual labor. The responsibility for growing crops and tending to the cult's infrastructure fell on its members alone. Keeping up with such a demanding workload meant that the Acolytes hardly had time for anything else. Crucial questions about the sustainability of the compound and the details of the supposed apocalypse went unasked. Children attended schools on the cult's land and were indoctrinated to believe that sex was sinful, as was washing themselves with soap. When followers broke a rule, they were severely punished. Some cultists were ordered to pray the rosary 1,000 times for a single infraction, while others were threatened with divine retribution. Cradonia Mirawende gained a reputation for being merciless, even as she purported to have the blessings of Jesus himself. Tragically, these injustices were magnified after the fatal fire. Though authorities found hundreds of bodies buried on land owned by the cult, they failed to complete a thorough investigation. To this day, the precise events of March 17th remain unknown. Officials have claimed that they didn't have the money to open an official inquiry. Two years after the blaze, a spokesman for the government claimed that finding answers was still a priority, but since then, little progress has been made. The lack of action felt more like willful negligence to many. One researcher told the Associated Press in 2002, nobody believes that the government has no money for the inquiry. Even more concerning is that the authorities believe the cult leaders may still be somewhere in hiding. Unfortunately, the earnest cries to investigate have been ignored so far. It's possible we'll never know exactly who set the fire all those years ago or why. We can only hope that someday the victims will get the justice they deserve. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Wendy, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, Unsolved Murders, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more stories like this one, check out the Spotify original from ParCast,
1: Cults. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from ParCast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive-produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Terrell Wells, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and stars Wendy McKenzie and Vanessa Richardson.